Got it. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to a late night FM version of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in our Toronto studios. Oh, the sweet stylings of Eugene's voice. Hi, this is Candy here in Chicago. I got a little Henny. Me too. An angel brought me this ridiculously big <laughs> bottle of it, and I'm enjoying it tonight. Well, there we go. We're both got, we're going to call this episode Henny. <laughs> and I'll write that down right now. Uh, because it is late at night, and you never know, I might just forget later. Uh, how are you doing? And, uh, well, I'm really exhausted, actually. Uh, so am I. This could be a terrible podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope not. Let's hope uh, not. Yeah, I'm exhausted, um, too, we, but I'm, we, I'm we've laughing had, about uh, it. We've had, for some time, we've had a, a storage unit, um, which we've uh, stored paintings in. And... Um, the good folks at uh, Bluebird Storage on the Lakeshore <laughs> decided to raise my rent by 60%. Isn't that terrible? Well, yeah. Uh, so uh, we decided we would bail from there. And mm -hmm. we've brought all the paintings. We filled my studio with all the paintings. From, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, it was a lot of moving today. And I did it uh, pretty much by myself. Uh, because Sheila was working. So, um, yeah, I was, I was moving. A All right, so what size truck did you get? Oh, I got a, uh, a cargo van, okay. um, one of those uh, Ford Transits. Oh, and I it's love a lovely those. van. I uh, love it, them. It would make a great camper. It, they sure you could would. dress that. You could dress yeah. that puppy up with a bed, right, with drawers underneath it. You know, it's definitely there's a room fantasy to have a little line. fridge. Yeah. You could have a solar powered lights happening. Yeah, like maybe an awning come off the side of it when you park with your chairs under it, your kitchen. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. It would be mm -hmm. perfect for that. I totally but, you want know, one. You know, here in Toronto, it's almost impossible to rent a cargo van right now. Oh, I didn't know that. Why is that? Well, Normally, it's it's not a big deal at all. There's tons of them around. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of courier companies have rented a lot of the available cargo vans because of the sharp rise in online shopping. <laughs> there's, seriously, there's, there's so many courier companies it's out there, funny along so with gross. Canada Post, um, who, of course, have wow. their own fleet of trucks. They have the nice little, uh, those cute transit connects. I yes. really like those little yeah, trucks. Yeah, those are nice too, yeah. Yeah, so um, oh. I had to call about five places before I could finally rent one. And then yesterday afternoon, Buddy from uh, Penske calls me and he mm -hmm. says, yeah, Eugene, that, uh, that van I was going to rent you, well, it broke down and it's in the <laughs> shop. So I can't rent you that one. Shit. But I found you another one at one of our other locations. <laughs> Now, that location was 25-minute drive from here, as opposed to his location, which was 10-minute drive. Right. But, I mean, what can you do? You know, right. I was a desperate man. So. Well, yeah, these are desperate times. Well, you know, strangely enough, I have also been involved in the moving truck rental situation this week. I have not personally rented it, but I've been helping, uh, doing some work for a friend of ours, and she's moving to Tennessee. And yesterday, um, the last two days, we filled up that 
a 20 foot truck with tons of her boxes of just level one move. And um, Stag drove down with her son, who's also a friend of ours. They drove to Tennessee, dropped the stuff off of the storage space and drove back again today. Wow. Yeah, they did an overnighter. Uh, Stag's already asleep. I went to work tonight. So I've been doing moving for a couple of hours in the morning. And then I've been going to my other job or staying longer and moving or whatever. So probably about a good five days I've been working my buns off. And that also explains, um, for those of you who have been waiting for this podcast <laughs> to drop, why we're That's a day right. late. We just That's couldn't right. get our schedules no. together. We try very hard to um, to go on Tuesdays, yeah. but this will be the second Wednesday. I and know. in fact, by the time this gets out, it may even be Thursday. So uh, thank you for your patience out there. We, we really love our listeners and we want you to keep coming back. Yeah, we don't want to screw up our schedule, but I just couldn't, I literally didn't have any time left in the day. And you know, it's funny about the pop culture con- consumption. I've been all over the place because I've been moving. Um, you know, I haven't been doing anything, although I've watched a lot of pop culture going into boxes. <laughs> um, I did tell you that I was I got those um, Criterion DVDs, none of which yeah. we can watch yet because we don't have the remote. And well, I you don't still have haven't got the remote. No. You've had a week to deal with I know. the remote. I haven't. I barely watched TV. I've barely done anything. So I'm like, oh my God, what am I talk to Eugene about? But I've done a little bit of consumption. I've had a few things going on. Speaking of um, when we drop, I've listened to two fascinating albums this week. I don't know if you've been following music news. But uh, both Kanye West and Drake dropped albums that broke records streaming this week. Oh, yeah, I heard uh, I heard Mr. Drake's is uh, is pretty good. I love it. So I've been listening to that in the car, and I actually I love them both. Drake's is really good. It you know Drake is funny because it's always like a little bit like both of them. These two albums are oddly similar. I don't think it's because. I'm listening to them in the same week. There's just something about the sensation I have. There's an episode of X-Files from their last season, I think about two or three years ago. And they, the, the, it's a, you know, some of the X-Files episodes are pure comedy. This is one of those pure comedy ones where they go in to get uh, Mulder and Fox, uh, Mulder, and they go into this um, takeout restaurant and it's like in the future. You never know what day it is. It's suddenly it's um, them in the future at a takeout and it's all roboticized. So everything they're ordering is all screwing up because there's a robot making their food. <laughs> and then they order drone cars. Like they order these cars. That this sounds they, like a Lucy show episode. It is like a Lucy show, only it's science fiction because it's a little bit the future on X-Files. And they both get into their Ubers with no drivers right? Driverless cars. And then drones are following Muldar. And um, it's a crazy cool episode, but it feels like, oh, I'm in the future. And Drake's album definitely feels like you are in some robotic future. Um, it'll, it's got so much sampling on it. I mean, I went nuts. I can't even guess all the sampling. Uh, oh, yeah. Jay, Jay-Z's on there. Nicki Minaj is in there. They sample the Beatles. I mean, those are featured artists. Sorry. Future's on there. Um, God, who else is on there? Damien Hurst does the album. Of course, I hate that because I'm not a fan of Damien Hurst. Um, but the cover is very strange. Before I saw the cover, it was really criticized on the radio. Um, it's a bunch of women, emojis, female pregnant emojis. So it's like the album's called Certified 
lover boy. So it's just so bizarre because there's all these pregnant women. He's like, Nick Cannon made five women pregnant or three women pregnant recently. That was a big what? thing because, yeah, because he, he did do it to, um, um, to, to have some children with um, different women. Apparently he thought he was um, terminally ill. So his response to that was to maybe make some more family. I don't that know. That is really weird, you know. It, it, it's weird, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a syndrome. I know Law and Order has a couple of episodes where guys just get women pregnant <laughs> on criminal intent. Well, well, if it's on Law and Order, it must be true. Then you know it must be true. Mm. So I also have been listening to Donda, which is um, Kanye's new album. And it's very interesting. I don't know how to recommend it or not. I'm enjoying it and I really like it. It's very much like, both of them seem like concept albums. I think that's the other thing. They, um, it's just that you're entering this world. And, and on Donda, it's, it's gospel music. It's very, really? Biz- yeah, it's, it's really a good gospel album. It's a very spiritual album. Isn't and that it's interesting? Not, huh? It is interesting. It's not many people, some people are not going to like it. If you just feel like hanging out and listening to it, it's pretty interesting. I've only listened to it about three times. No, I've listened there's, to there's a lot of really fantastic gospel music. It's it's a, well, and a, it's not it's a really interesting genre. In I lots love of gospel ways. music, and you're not going to have. Um, it's not fair to compare it to it. It's definitely contemporary. It's definitely different. It's okay. more like an experimental uh, journey, and I, you know, and I mean, Kanye can be that way too. There's a kind of superficialness, and I think that's what the Damien Hurst, who's like the asshole artist of the world con artist or whatever. Right. I'm just not a fan of Damien Hurst. I'm sorry. And, um, and you know, they sold something like at least 200 million streams, the two of them. It's a remarkable um, event this week. It's pretty amazing. And I really, I, I would like to hear if you listen to certified lover boy, it's pretty cool by Drake. I'm going to be listening to it a lot. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I'll have to give it a listen. Yeah. So it's been a rough uh, week for the entertainment industry. Yeah, that is just sucks. Michael K. Williams, um, definitely one of our favorites. Oh yeah, I mean his character mm. in in The Wire is one of the all time great characters, I think, it, oh, and definitely. he pulls it off so well. He really does. From the second you start to follow him, I mean, he's just like amazing mystical character on the on the series and you know i just i wrote on facebook this week that i remember sitting there watching it and he the camera goes on him and he's in bed you don't know much about him you know he's a tough he goes and robs he's like robin hood he, he robs drug dealers and and he seems to redistribute the wealth into the neighborhoods and um he wakes up one morning when he gets up out of bed there's a red-headed man next to him and i just remember being completely blown away like who is this guy like this guy is so intriguing, this character. Well, yes. And then every time you see him after that, he, somebody is whistling the farmer in the dell. <laughs> Do you remember the hoppers? The kids? Yeah. They call them hoppers. And yeah. I was so pissed that a hopper killed him. Yeah. What a what a sad um, loss. Um, you know. As, as well, um, this this last week, uh, Charlie Watts, the drummer of the Rolling Stones right. for what, like That's fifty right. years, yep, is gone. He's in yep. his in his early eighties. Yeah, um, good for him. Uh, yeah, good run, especially in the rock and roll business, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, which usually cuts a lot of lifespans short. Yes. Uh, and the other person uh, of note who passed this week is 
well, lots of people of note, of course, but the other uh, uh, music industry person is Lee Scratch Perry, the reggae pioneer, uh, oh, uh, producer, right. yes. singer. Yes. Uh, so uh, it's been a rough week all it around for week, the entertainment yeah. industry. Yeah. Very bad. Hey, I, I caught up on that Bob Ross documentary. Oh, you did? What'd you think? Yes, I did. Watched it the other day. Uh, first of all, what a downer, huh? It is a downer. I know. Sorry. It looked like it was going to be happy, right? <laughs> you know, uh, well. It, I feel happy. He's the original ASMR. Yes, I, he is. It, of like, course. ASMR. And, yeah. you know, it's becomes really clear that his goal in life had very little to do with painting. It was really about helping people to do something they can be proud of and feel good about. And he made people feel good. That was really his job, much yeah. more than bad painting instructor, you know, right, <laughs> teaching people right. to make these remarkably horrible sentimental <laughs> landscapes, which I, 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 it's really amazing how you could actually make a landscape as bad as them. Um, and they had you this are gonna, you're in so much trouble you know so many people love his paintings oh yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, I I, so. i'm always in trouble i am the <laughs> in trouble one in uh, i mean i guess that's what we love about them is that they are so formula that we love them because well, they do look tremendously pretty. sentimental yes, and he's and tremendously sentimental. sentimental he is sentimental too. right and, but what's amazing is that he uses the brush so perfectly well which is exactly he uses a brush exactly how you're supposed to use it in a classical way, actually, to create shapes. But they are pretty sentimental and they, I love it too, that he can do it in half an hour. You yes, know, watercolors, <laughs> yeah, watercolor should only take, how long should watercolor take? Like an hour and a half. It was really interesting that early on he pre-did a painting and he yeah. kept it there to refer to while he was doing his 27 minute painting and then after a while he didn't need to do that anymore right that was he, pretty interesting he could it make was. those landscapes without a yeah. reference yeah and, you know it there is something just amazing about watching him make them that it is so peaceful okay so what do you think about the cia connection with that well, asshole couple you know retired? i'm going to just present just a, a couple of points Good. here Good. that just are going to cause a just the tiniest shred of doubt to this whole thing okay <laughs> it's i mean it's the sun's point of view Okay. okay, and the son has okay. sued the the evil money grubbing couple, right? Right, right. and mm -hmm. lost. Mm -hmm. So, in a court of law, they've done nothing wrong. Right, right. That, um, that's true. According to because they signed uh, there okay. was some so paperwork. Two, yes. Just two other things. Yeah. One, Bob Ross, according to the son, was having an affair with. Um, Mrs. whatever her name was, right? Uh, Kowalski? Is it Kowalski? Yeah, I think so. Um, so Mrs. Kowalski, do we believe that he was completely unaware of their business dealings? <clears throat> Could he be that naive and be that close to them and not have an idea that we're A, hyper ambitious, B, we're out for every dollar we can get and we're building an industry around this. I mean, he wasn't naive to that, I don't think. Was he? Probably not. You're right. That's a good point. So I'm just, maybe he was. Maybe yeah. he was, but it seems unlikely to me. And the other interesting thing that comes up in it is that he tried really hard to groom his son as his successor. Yes, yes. And when he did, his son wanted no part of it. 
he just, like he'd go on a few shows, but right. he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to be his successor right. until later when he didn't get a massive inheritance. Oh, and he wants to be the successor. So, I all I'm saying is that those doubts came to my mind while I was watching it. Okay. So it, it could That's be fair. It could be the sun is absolutely spot on. The Kowalskis are evil incarnate money grubbing pigs and um, were out to just make as much money as they could and steal his name and all of that. It could be absolutely so. It could be that the legal case was jimmied and we've heard of how many bad legal cases, right? Yeah. So it's, it's all very possible. It's all very possible. It just... What was really bugging me is that could Bob Ross be that naive? Well, I don't think he was naive. I, I, I think he knew he was making a money venture. I think that part was part of it. I think what sometimes people don't realize is when you make a contract like that, it was not dissimilar to the contract that um, Amore Amore made. Remember the, oh, that, the like, psychic dude the psychic that we, we dude talked about before. I've thought about that too. Yeah. Very similar kind of story yes. where, where psychic dude and Bob Ross are really focused on the, the people that they're touching, the people yes. that they're affecting. Yes. Um, and they seem to be outside of the business. Right. Uh, and yet both of them seem like very bright people who should be fully aware of what's going on. I, I think they probably were. Yeah, I think they were aware and I think they agreed to do the business. And I think, let's say you and I said, okay, we're going to do a business. And like, for instance, selling agency podcasts. Like, that's right. Merch. Like, merch. But right. we can't do it because we're terrible at it. So we get someone to help us and they start, we design it and they get it product produced. And we sign a contract to share the profit. I think what happens is in that process, if you are not paying attention to the wording on the contract, someone could twist it. Does that make sense? It does I make sense. I think there is but, something. But why do you know of anyone, anyone right, that right. you've ever met who got uh, involved with a huge business contract without a lawyer involved to look over the contract to make sure it was covering your interests? Well, sometimes it is the lawyer that's doing this. And, and that would be the case with our, our astrologer. It was a lawyer type business person who did wrangle that. But you're right, you should have your own lawyer. I of think course. what happens is you have a couple of drinks. There seemed to be a little bit of um, swingers going on. They implied that there was like a lot of sex and maybe some pot smoking. Maybe there was this weird sense of trust. Okay, yeah, let's do this business together. And it, that, that doesn't work. I guess he needed a lawyer when he signed the papers. And something happened. It's very unclear to me why they couldn't possibly allow the uncle and the son to be part of the business when Bob Ross was sick and about to die. That's where the greed kicks in. It should have been a very easy transition to put the son yes. into there. Yes, I, it's, I, very, I just, it's very strange that everything got out of control. Right. And these guys ran off with everything. It right. seems highly... Highly unlikely, but, but except, who knows, maybe for greed, that, except for greed, except for greed, except for yes. greed, that, that's and, I guess and, so, greed and so maybe the son is the aggrieved party and, and he's just tried to call attention to it. I think he is. Um, I believe that he at least thinks that he is. I think he is aggrieved. I think it is a, a shitty situation. I did feel sympathy for the son. 
And I thought it was even shitty that the uncle, who was supposed to have 51% and the son, oh, yeah, 49%, he also sold him out. He also sold him out. So I think this guy got shafted no matter where he went. And um, what was very nice was I did not expect it to come out the other side. And it does come out the other side because the actual freedom and the actual way of making a living is not in this merchant and this business conglomerate. It was that the son, is it Steve? He continues to paint. He paints in his own style, sort of. And he teaches people to paint in that style. And he's good on camera. And he's um, found a life for himself. He found some peace of mind. Um, It's Mm -hmm. not easy to have peace of mind when you think someone's ripped you off. And it's not just a ripoff. It's the fact that he thought he was entitled to it with his dad. So I wonder what how that this documentary will affect him. I think it will affect him hugely. I think they will go back to court and I think someone will put him into that business arrangement. Mm, Plus, I think the fans are boycotting. Fans are going to boycott it. They're going to boycott those um, products. They won't buy Bob Ross paint and they won't buy mugs and and Not even fan brushes? I don't think they will buy fan brushes. I think okay. they will boycott it, and I think they're going to have to buckle. So Can't even Bob believe Ross, they're still happy. How come Bob Ross died? How come Bob Ross has to die, and those bitches have to live? You know what I mean? Well, yes. Yeah. Oh, so what'd you think? Did you like it overall? I would say overall, it was a it was a downer, um, <laughs> but it was interesting to see behind the scenes in that yeah. empire yes. because normally all you see is you know, happy Bob with his perm there making his silly paintings, right? Well, exactly. Um, now, And he has this kind of like fake little accent he does and everything. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's a whole different thing from, from what you see behind the scenes. That's true. He had to tighten the springs for his perm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but we also saw that behind the scenes, he was, he acted very much like he behaved on screen. Yeah, uh, I people, think it's different true. Different people said that. Yeah. So, Anyway, I thought I think it's well worth watching, um, and uh, if you do watch it, we'd be interested in knowing uh, your point of view. Uh, do you think that Bob Ross was fully aware of his business relationship and, and how greasy it was, um, and that the sun <laughs> would greasy? be kind of is it uh, really greasy? Uh, you know that the the sun would be sort of uh, ripped off and yeah, and, uh, out of what he I guess thought would have been his right or his inheritance right, right. Um, or do you think that um, do you think that the son is just uh, also money grubbing and the Kowalskis are perfectly good business people um, you know there was there was uh, to support that side of the argument a court case which was lost by the son true true so I guess the paperwork does hold up so uh, we'd like to know what you think, uh, but do uh, do watch it if you can. It's well worth watching. Yeah. I mean, I think they could do um, a show. On, I, I can't believe there hasn't been a documentary on Thomas Kincaid. I think that maybe Ryan Murphy should be doing the Thomas Kincaid American Crime Story or something. Um, yeah. You know, some which some is, of our listeners might not know who Thomas Kincaid is. Right. You, uh, he, just elaborate a bit. Yeah. I guess I would say that he paints a fantasy reality of what we wish Americana was. That it's yes, a little patch He's the painter of light. 
He's a painter of light. That's right. He had a tagline. Because if you're going to be a brand, you Uh need to have a tagline. (laughs) I know. I mean, I'm not a marketer, but I know that. Mm -hmm. You need to have a tagline and he's got it. He's the painter of light. That's right. And um, I think he would make an interesting movie because he did study. I don't remember who he studied, but he went to the same art school that somebody like, I think it was Schnabel went to, (laughs) if I'm correct. And I mean, he became disillusioned with the art world which is very easy to do because easy it's, to the, do. You, it's totally the biggest the biggest con game in the world, right? It's the best con game. You can really make money disappear. And um, you can bullshit up the theory of your art. I know, I lose money every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I meant disappear, not <laughs> lose. <laughs> you can hide money in art, right? Um, yeah. with, uh, not in my art, apparently. Not in your art. <laughs> not in my art either, apparently. But some art can hide money. <laughs> Yeah, so I think there should be like, um, you know, Ryan Murphy does um, The People versus O.J. Simpson. And right now he has Monica Lewinsky. I can't wait. It's called um, Impeachment. I think that starts next week. And, um, you know, do you know Douglas Sirk? Ryan Murphy is the contemporary Douglas Sirk. Douglas Sirk made Written on the Wind, these very melodramatic women stories. And Ryan Murphy's kind of moved into that area and made many many great shows but i would like to see a thomas kincaid by ryan murphy It'd it would be amazing be, it would be fascinating yeah i think there was some I, drugs I would love to see what, there too. what actually his what the business was like what the business structure was like right. what he was like was he really this kind of far right wing christian moral majority character or did he take on that role it was a part of his branding like a colbert the Colbert Report. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been a whole totally uh, performance piece. I, I think what he did was that he would photocopy. Because, you know, I have I find it hard to believe that anyone would actually come to the conclusion that painting like that is, uh, I know. is a good thing to do. I know. Well, he would photocopy the background of the painting, I think, and then hire people to draw the little dot colors on, I think. And you could, you, you know, he had quite a little... Um, school going i can't well, you know, i still that's can't not unusual. i know you know historically mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. well-known painters such as rubens for instance sure had an atelier and an atelier. you could buy a painting that was a hundred percent by rubens you could <laughs> right. buy one that was that's right uh, rubens did the figures and yes. his his students did the background. You could buy one where he supervised it, but his students did everything. Right. If you wanted like the budget uh, no frills version, well, uh, Jeff so Koons I, does I that. There's a whole tradition of yes, that. Yes, it's, there it's is. It's not a new thing by not any means. Jeff Koons does that, right? He has he has a whole workshop of people. He'll he'll create the image, and then they reproduce it ginormous, and they have to follow his exact choice of colors. Um, he's picked out all of that. They just sit and they do it exactly like it's laid out. I saw some kind of video or film a while ago about uh, Motherwell in his later years. Yeah. And he had someone whose job was <laughs> to create happy accidents, to use the Bob Ross <laughs> term, so that he oh. would have something to paint. Like this person would splotch some paint. And uh, that's a great idea. Yeah. And he would come along and, and say, oh, OK, I, I know what I, I know what I could do to make a painting. Right. So, but he would have these assistants help him give him like starting points. Right. Well, I guess he was his he was losing some of his uh, mental faculties. Oh, that's sad. I thought it was a way to kind of get over that panic you might have of a blank 
um, material, the blank well, canvas. Yeah, we'll get over it color. though. I mean, that's what we all have to face. We do have to. Right? Every time we go in the studio. That's right. I probably told the story of, I don't know if it was, I think it was a teacher and they used to feel so stressed out about their expensive watercolor paper. They'd get their kid to run over in a trike. And then after that, it was like, whatever. I totally get that. Yeah. You've got to make some kind of mark on it. You have to relieve that incredible yes. tension of blankness. That's right. Blankness is, is it's tremendously oppressive. <laughs> and I do it too. I'll sometimes, uh, I'll sometimes just paint a color on or mm. throw some paint at it, do something. Um, an old friend of ours we went to school with used to refer to that as a gesso job. Oh, yeah. Like that start off for a painting yeah. where you just yeah. throw some paint around and it's uh, right. It's something. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you consider what to do. Right. I'll definitely knock in some colors with a ginormous brush and then deal with it later. I've been watching uh, Faker Fortune. I think I mentioned that, too, a couple of weeks ago. And um, what's really fun about it is sometimes they really get into how these paintings were painted and they do talk about part of the, the worth of these paintings, whether they're a fake or real, they'll analyze the fake might be that it was from the atelier, that it was the student. Ah. And, and that it still has, it has a lot of value, but they're always trying to figure out, was this the master? Was this the students? Was this, you know, well, we can tell because um, this one student always did this. And then there's one painter. Um, Oh my God, I forgot who it was. I watched it last week and I've been so busy since then. But I loved it. They put pink on. They always had this. They always had to put this pink over their whole um, canvas. And it would always shine through pink and umber and ochre. And they would put that as their base. And then that would come through the paints. It would affect the, the, the way the pink later colors came on. It was pretty cool. You know, they do all that x-rays. You know, um, you know, the American painter um, uh, Pinkham Ryder, who we talked about here before. Yes. Um, I believe that there's many times more fakes of his works in American yeah, we museums. Did, than we there did are. try it. Yes. Yeah. I uh, think there and, are. I think we did try to figure out that. Yeah. And the fakers used what he did without knowing he used bitumen in his paint, which exactly. turned, turned them black yeah. so the fakers had to use bitumen I know, but I they also it. had to figure out how to get those cracks that come from building up right. layer after layer after layer of oil paint oh yeah i love that stuff and they do a lot of that in this series is they'll just scrape off a bit of paint and they're looking like if there's cobalt well forget it sasan didn't paint it because cobalt wasn't discovered until right, a right, certain right. date i just love it it's just the best feeling that's my bob ross paint show right now i just like zone out to it i love it um i i haven't read too much I, I i didn't get back to the big um picture because um i've been so busy i read almost three quarters of a travis mcgee novel last week in one day when i had a day off and then the rest of my week went insane with working again those are the kind of novels you just sort of gobble oh, up, right? They are gobbly. Like and, they're you know, a snack. They are a snack. And then every now and then I stop because I'm like, this is icky because it's retro, right? So it's like shitty about women or something. Then after a while, you're like, well, whatever. I'll just keep reading it. It's so juicy. Hey, I'd like to make a recommendation. Yeah. I've discovered the most wonderful YouTube channel, but not wonderful for everyone, <laughs> but wonderful for anyone who likes fiddle music. Oh. which I love. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, Charlie Walden's YouTube channel. And 
he does a tremendous amount of live work on this channel. Uh, he does on most Fridays, he does something called the Big Fiddle Show. Mm -hmm. And it features him on fiddle, his wife, Pat Plunkett on piano. Often right. he'll have a guitar player. Um, sometimes he'll have a second fiddler. Sometimes he'll have a bass player. So they do the Friday's Big Fiddle Show. They do Wednesday night sessions, which is like a jam session with him and his buddies. They do twin fiddle time um, with Charlie Walden and um, a fiddler. I believe her name is Janet Jeffries. And they work out harmony parts uh, for second fiddle. And they do it kind of on the fly. So that's really cool. cool. And then they take tunes that they've played on one of the shows and they teach them. They do a workshop and they call that Camp Possum. What a great idea. And then he's also added tunes at noon, almost every day <laughs> at noon Chicago time. Wow. Because he lives in Evanston, okay. I believe. Um, so it's one o'clock out here. He does tunes at noon in which usually it's just him. But uh, today he had uh, a buddy of his playing fiddle with him. Uh, he'll, he'll play for like a half hour at noon, just fiddle music. So if you're a fiddle music freak like I am, um, I highly recommend you check out Charlie Walden's YouTube channel. And he also has a Patreon page. And I'm going to tell you that I support uh, Charlie on his Patreon page. I think it's well worthwhile for all the material that he's producing Very for cool. people who love this kind of music. So a uh, big recommendation from me, if you're into uh, old time fiddle music, check out Charlie Walden's YouTube channel. Excellent. Well, I'm well into um, the second season of The Sopranos. <laughs> In How's my, that going? It's great. I'm loving every second of it. Dave didn't want to watch it again, so I just watch it as my comfort TV now. Oh, really? And, How come he didn't want to watch? Oh, it he yet? watched it the first time. Right? Yeah. We watched it once, but he's not. He he feels like no, I, I don't want to watch it again right now. So I didn't like want to wait for. Like it's going to ruin it if he watches it again? No, I guess he just wants to watch something else. You know, okay, like fair enough. He doesn't want to go back to it. I I go back to some shows, and so I'm just enjoying too. it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy it, and I'm okay with it because then I can just binge it when I want to. It's hard binging two people because you have to make your schedule yes. safe. Yeah, you we're know? still going back to episodes of uh, Homicide Life on the Street. Right. And eventually we'll get ourselves through the series for, I don't know how many times we've watched it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and you don't want to um, cheat on the binging, you know, because then you're watching it five times. Um, <laughs> I watched funny. a funny show called um, Untold Crimes and Penalties. I don't know if there's more, but it seems to be a sports scandals. And it's about the, the episode I watched was about the Danbury Trashers. Do you know anything about them? Nope, nothing at all. Well, they were part of a United Hockey League. And um, the guy who started it, Jimmy Galliente, is apparently he's the real Tony Soprano. And he's in waste management. I don't know why it's always about waste <laughs> management. Um, but he's in waste management. And he um, his son injured himself playing hockey. And couldn't play anymore, so he bought him a hockey team. And it's like the second tier hockey okay. league. Okay, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And um, they had their their um, emblem was like a trash can. And in New Jersey, the fans went nuts. And they basically hired goons to just beat the shit out of the other players. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the commissioner of hockey is going to these games going, listen, if you do this again, like they're taking like base, they're taking the sticks like baseball bats and swinging them at people. Yeah, there's some great footage. And he's like, I'm going to close you down. Um, He eventually (laughs) does find everybody. Uh, But somehow uh, the kid, he's 17 or 18 years old, who owns this hockey team, uh, you know, he's showing up in suits. He's trying to be mature. He decides to hire um, Rup. I think it's Rup, a, a hockey player that won the New Jersey Devils, uh, the Stanley Cup in 2004. And that was right when the strike happened. Remember the lockdown of hockey? So what happened was hockey shuts down and this league gets, this, the second level league gets very, very popular for a, a whole season. And they hire a superstar NHL hockey player. Uh, they offer him a bag of cash. Because <laughs> I guess when you're in the mafia, you can kind of do that, right? Cash I businesses. Mean, That's if you I mean waste money. management. I mean waste management. Um, I hear so, from reliable sources. Cash businesses is where it's at. Yes. And then meanwhile, while you're watching this crazy story, um, you're watching the FBI following the guy who owns the, that bought the hockey team. And they're about to go down on him for RICO violations and fraud. And he eventually does get arrested. The hockey team has to fall apart. It was a really, really interesting story that I didn't know anything about. Not very much anyway. And that apparently was the real Tony Soprano. That sounds very interesting. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I'm assuming that it's going to have other sports uh, scandal stories, which could be a lot of fun. Oh, I see. So each episode will be mm-hmm. a different sports mm-hmm. scandal. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm guessing there could be a, a baseball player who gambled. Uh, you know, it could be stuff like that. Sure. Okay. But I was pretty impressed that I didn't really know a lot about it. Oh, but like the, the other funny thing was that they, so they were sending, he was sending the team out for $6,000 dinners in New York City. And they were getting $10,000 cash bonuses. I mean, it was just off the chain how much he took care of this, uh, this hockey team. Wow. And I guess um, the commissioner kept saying the violence, the, the violence was just out of control. The language was too vulgar and, uh, you know, had to close them down a few times. But then he got arrested and went to prison for 84 months. Wow. That's what I watched. Well, we watched a spy movie that somehow had eluded us. I don't know how. It's on Netflix. No, it just came out, isn't it? Well, it's 2020. Oh. I think it was done before the the pandemic. It's called The Courier. Yeah, you told me to watch it. I did. Directed by Dominic Cook and starring Benedict Cumberbatch and right. as, uh, as Greville Wynn. And, you know, I, I went into this not being a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh. He seems a lot of times to play similar characters in uh-huh. similar kinds of period pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, is he doing another World War II thing? <laughs> oh, how amusing. And, uh, you're but, not, and let's remind our listeners that Eugene is not a Sherlock Holmes fan. And I am not a Sherlock Holmes fan. And he's the most brilliant Sherlock. Apparently. Apparently. So Allegedly. um, I went into this anyway because it was a spy (laughs) movie and it seemed like it was an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. It was based Mm -hmm. on uh, uh, actual events and it was about a business, a British businessman recruited by MI6 to courier spy goodies to and from Oleg 
Penkovsky in the early 60s, who was a Russian official. Um, and the original title of this show was not The Courier, it was Iron Bark. But somehow, someone along the way told them that Iron Bark sucked as a, as a title. Yeah, it, I guess it, it does. Like, it's not a good name. The Courier. It's not a, no, it doesn't Iron Bark? It's not a good name at all. No. Uh, so <laughs> You heard of your first. It's all centered around the deployment of Russian um, arms, missiles, yeah. Uh, to Cuba, which could have given uh, Russians, you know, the ability to directly fire on the U.S. from Cuba. Right. And so um, that heightened the drama of the whole thing. It was tremendously well done, wasn't it? It was very well done. Um, at first, I had a little resistance to the feeling I was, it, it's kind of funny because I think that it turned out okay for me. At first, I was like, why didn't they show the ballet? It really bothered me. They didn't show the ballet when they meet. So the um, British guy goes to meet, he goes to Russia as a business person. That's his cover. Um, and he's going to go and do business with Moscow. So he meets this guy and the guy goes, oh, you've got to come and see Cinderella, the ballet. And they don't show it. They show them watching. I'm like, I want to see the but ballet. But later they show ballet. That's what I'm saying. That was my punchline was because it was really funny. It really bothered me they didn't show the ballet. I was like, this is too much like a stage. And I realized, then I looked up the director and he is a stage director from Shakespeare and the Royal Court Theater, Dominic Cook. But what happened was, as I persevered through it, I really did enjoy it, but all of a sudden the movie got very tense. It probably just seduced me for the first 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it, it really did build up. It got tense very fast. It got very tense. And very ugly. Very ugly. And I got very committed to the outcome. And I did have a good cry. I didn't. It was pretty touching. Um, yeah, it was very, very touching. There was some great um, payoff, emotional delivery. And um, it turns out to be a beautiful movie. And then they did show, I'm assuming that would have been Swan Lake or something. They did show some ballet. That's right. And at the end, they show the real guy, some film of the they real do. guy uh, who was talking yeah. to the news after getting freed. Yeah. It was a very heartbreaking story because um, they all got locked up in prison, the two guys, and only one comes out. Yes. They traded him for a spy. And the other guy really did sacrifice his life for doing the right thing. As it turned out, yeah. Yeah, as it turned out. And um, it was a great story, great acting. Yeah. And, and I uh, got to say that uh, that Benedict Cumberbatch did a good job. <laughs> he was really fine. I'm so glad I'll, you finally understand this actor. You know, he has a huge It takes appeal. me a while. As you know, Candy, sometimes I'm slow to come around. <laughs> the ladies really like... Uh, him. They really like him. Oh, they like old Ben, do they? Yeah, but what a strange name. They had some real British names in that. What was his name again? Grofner? His name was Greville Wynn. Greville. I mean, God damn it. That's right with Dickens there. Greville. Well, I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is quite a name too, right? <laughs> I keep calling him Cumberbund. I keep forgetting. I call him Cumberbund too. Or cumbersome or, or yeah, you know. yeah. Benedict. He has a nickname, Benny Cummer or something like that. I can't remember who it is. Oh, okay. Something quite silly. Yeah. yeah no, sure that was a really good Benedict. movie. It was a really good movie. I started out slow. I was a little bit dubious. I thought it was a little bit too stilted at first. And then I completely got into it. Yes. Maybe um, at, at first it was, yeah. but it also reflected his own awkwardness as that, someone who had never so done true. this before. That's so true because he was totally, 
he wasn't even the flashy salesman like Don Draper or or That's any right. of those guys that were like he was super just, he slick. He was like a mediocre salesman. He was very, and there's this wonderful scene where they they tell him that you know <laughs> he would be the least qualified person they could think of to do this kind of work, which is right. why they want him. Right. It was true. His cover was perfect because he just. He, and he didn't want to do it. I like how also after a while he starts to get nervous. So he starts bodybuilding, like he's doing push-ups. And I don't think it's because he, I guess he did get a lot of adrenaline from it. They did well, yes, he got that. really, he started to get really charged up, you charged know. Charged up. I mean, he went home and had sex with his wife and she's like, what the hell was that about? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. His wife did some great. She was yeah, very she good. thought maybe he was having an affair or something. Right, because she had he no did idea have he was going to be a spy. Right, because he did have an affair. That's before. right. That's right. That's right. Which was very complicated. It showed how complicated he was. I'm looking at this guy going like, "This guy's not going to have an affair. This is bullshit." Because he just seems so um, milk toast. Yes. You know, he was just not like. But he was maybe not what he seemed, and he's not he what showed, he seemed. He showed what he was made of during. Yes, the film, he did. He say. did. So there was a lot of things, and the Russian counterpart, he was a very charming actor. Yes. I, I hope I can see him some other thing because he really, I, I fell in love with him. He was really fantastic. Yeah, he was uh, yeah, very, for sure. Very he, did a, he did a great job. The acting all around was uh, it was a great ensemble kind of cast. And, yeah. Uh, um, one of the uh, the the CIA uh, operative, the female, she's from a, the very popular show, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, right? Oh, I don't know. I anything think about so. That I show. don't. I don't watch it. My friend Andrew does. They keep telling me to watch. He keeps telling me to watch it, and I just didn't oh, so get into it. Oh, so a friend told you about it? Okay. A friend told me about The Marvelous Miss Maisel, okay. and I recognized her because um, I guess I looked it up or something, and um, I haven't watched that. Apparently, it's really delightful, but I have not watched it. I just I haven't figured out. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, it's a woman doing stand-up in the 50s in New York City. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, I yeah, have heard of yeah, it. Yes. Yeah, okay. There you go. So and I haven't watched it. I, I keep thinking, it's so weird. I keep thinking, I'm not really into that, which is bizarre because I think I probably am into it. Well, you like stand-up. I like stand-up and I like Joan Rivers and I like comedy. So you'd think I would watch it. Because um, I'm kind of guessing it's sort of a, a Joan Rivers-esque um story arc okay yeah looking at my notes so now officially i've heard it said that the pandemic and the virus is endemic now we are stuck with it for a long time that's my well, happy that, news for today that seemed that seemed fairly clear hey you know um you're going to change that subject right away i'm not going to change subject too far <laughs> actually uh the uh, you know we were recently on a canoe trip and yes. um, we rented a canoe up there that was made by the Suris River Canoe Company, which is a well-known, well-respected brand of canoes, and they're made in Atacokan, Ontario, which okay. is right around where we went canoeing. So yes. we actually saw their place. Shut up! Atacokan. Did you go to a, on a tour of their? Um... No, we did not. Uh, uh, I think they were closed for a couple of weeks, uh, but. In any case, we did see it there. But after, just the other day, uh, East Texas Red sent me uh, sent me a news item about them. Oh. Um, they've taken out a job ad for two full-time positions in which they've said that anyone 
who has been vaccinated against the COVID virus need uh-huh. not apply. <gasps> yeah. Wow. wow. And there's been quite a backlash. And I'm I'm kind of thinking that they may not need to hire those two positions after all, because wow. there's a lot of people who were their customers who were saying, I'll never buy another canoe from them. Right. Right. You know, it's weird because it's so difficult. I hear all these conversations at work by people I don't know, and they're from different perspectives in society. And it's such a breakdown of how people are communicating. Some issues seem like conspiracy. Some seems like science. Some seem like there's people who believe the conspiracy because a scientist said it but it's not peer reviewed. And there's no basic um, common denominator of how to approach information right now. It's very crazy. Yes, it's, it seems to be much more about how you feel about something than having something that is in some way fact-based. Right, I, I'm, I, I like the part about feeling something. I think that's good to, your feelings warn you and they, they make you want to, double check something but it it it's the feelings that are like i want it to be a validation of my personality or my ego it's not a pure of heart way to validate oneself <laughs> if that makes any sense it's got to be something that like people don't have time to find out what they do or do not have in common i know there's a big thing like um cognitive dissonance and that's part of it but that's like a snobby word for saying that some people are stupid in a way like um and it's just not going to work it has to be that people aren't stupid but they're not understanding how to talk about something in the same way it's really that's shocking but i think we're going to see a lot more of that well i don't you know i was talking last night i was talking with our, our friend a friend of the podcast vox last night yeah and he said you know there was no need to for them to politicize their business one way or the other, right? right? And by doing it, they've immediately created people who like enemies, people who are not gonna support their business. Sure, but what might happen is that they're gonna sell to millions more people in the United States. Because a lot of people in the States will feel very sympathetic to that story. Oh, that's so sad that they just- So I'm gonna go buy their canoe because because he's not going to hire anyone who's had a vaccination? Yes, yes, I think they'll have a lot of people that will buy their canoe because wow. of that. If it becomes international, I think people in the States would buy that. There's, there were stores in the States that said, don't come in here if you're wearing a mask. Like they really? literally had, don't, you can't shop here if you're wearing a mask. They were in like small town America. So it wasn't like city people were going to go in there, but they were ready to make a point you know when um when i was in hanoi which was just as the pandemic yes. was ripening, uh, yeah. it hadn't been called a pandemic yet at mm-hmm. that point right um, but there were some restaurants that i walked past they were kind of high-end places not yeah. the sorts of street food places i was eating at um, but i found a couple of them that had signs that said um we do not serve anyone who's from China because 
really all that was known about the right. outbreak or the what became the pandemic right. is it came from Wuhan. And so these these businesses decided from the outset, well, we're not serving anyone who's come here from China. Right, right, right. Well, you know, the unfortunate part was that it may have been in a lab or a neighborhood in Wuhan, but it was funded by American taxpayer dollars. That's well, well traced now. If in fact it was a lab leak as a result of experimenting from habitat encroachment. I mean, I hope that, I hope we can figure out what it is. Um, you know, Governments don't listen to scientists and governments don't listen to their own people who pay for their jobs. So as long as those governments aren't listening to reason, shit like this is going to keep happening. It's just, this is the worst couple of weeks ever. If I thought it was bad, like back in the pandemic, it's so much worse now with the climate and the hurricanes and Texas and oh, abortion. The, oh my God. I mean, what happened to Texas? I just, well, Texas, Texas was, was rough already. I already. knew Texas was, yeah. was, was rough, yeah. but I yeah. tell you, it, that's crazy. It's like war on women. It's very, very stressful. I really, I'm so stressed out about any kind of news that I just like, oh God, I just, how much can we take until like you freak out? <sighs> They're trying to find ways around it. Everyone's trying to find ways around it. It's pretty bad. I'm trying to find the name of the canoe from Deliverance because that's the canoe you need to buy. Oh, yeah? Because, you know, they lasted through all of that um, trauma in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. Well, in fact, paddling.com uh, has an article on it. Oh. Um, someone said, I know the aluminum one was a Grumman, 17 foot maybe. Um, what was the wooden one? Looked kind of like an old town Otka. <laughs> I think it's time to create a canoe business in uh, Ontario, actually. This would be a great time to compete. Well, maybe, yeah. Well, and the thing is, though, I think some people don't care if they have um, lose customers. Look at Dolly Parton. She said she didn't want to lose Republicans or Democrats. That's why she didn't. She knew her business demanded on people listening to her music. She wasn't going to politicize it. Right. And I guess some people are, you know, in Indiana, where Mike Pence is from, God, it has to be about eight years ago. There was a bakery who wouldn't, when they found out that the wedding cake they were making was for a gay couple, they refused to make it. And it went to court and. Oh, the, I heard about that. Yeah. The court said, that's fine. They have the right to turn that down. Um, I guess capitalism does allow that. Um, and I guess that's with this canoe. It's it's not that far away from that idea. Well, I found an article. Yes. I'm not sure when it was published. Uh, I'm looking for a date on it, but I don't see it. But it says a wooden canoe from the personal collection of Burt Reynolds Ooh. restored from pieces of the canoes used in filming Deliverance, oh. Warner Brothers, 1972, was recently <laughs> sold by auction house Julian's Live of Los Angeles for the winning bid of 17920 well above its expected price of 800 to $1,200. Wow. I would have thought that it's, it would get a lot because of its notoriety in the film. True. And consider also that a quality canoe, like a really good canoe is yeah. like five, $6,000. Yeah. So it's like double that for a famous canoe. I thought the canoe in the movie was aluminum. 
rather than wood, but what do I know? They could, and they, they probably did use several canoes for all the shots in continuity. Well, there seems to be some discussion about it. As uh -huh. first reported by wooden <laughs> paddle maker and blogger Murat Vardar, the canoe, which was housed at the Reynolds Museum, is a composite of two canoes made for the iconic canoeing film. Uh, I had posted about this canoe back in 2012 during the 40th anniversary of the film when Whoa. it was housed at the Burt Reynolds Museum in Florida, writes Vardar on his blog. Mm -hmm. A casual glance shows that major reconstruction efforts were done quite amateurishly. Also, this canoe is much shorter than the tripping canoe featured in the film with no seats or a center thwart. Nevertheless, some sleuthing by Benson Gray of the Wooden Canoe Heritage Association revealed that six identical 16-foot Old Town guide canoes in dark green were shipped to the film location in Clayton, Georgia, a year before the film was re released. With wood ribs and thwarts, the canoe bears two serial numbers, number 184739, and I know our listeners will appreciate the detail here, and number 184432 <laughs> on both stems that are still visible and match the build records from Old Town Canoe Company, he reports. And this goes on and on and on I, about, I, uh, I about love the it. canoes. And this is in, this is in a, a publication called men's journal yeah there you go well whatever it takes to find out the information for that canoe well good good, good looking there i love that movie i read the novel too james did you really oh god what was yeah. the novel like compared to the movie oh the writer is a very he's a brilliant writer i recommend that book for you i think you would love it um it's very well written and james dickey i think that's his name he wrote something else i read too really great writer um, do you have time to look that up? <laughs> I'm slow on my phone here. Let me see. Uh, I don't even know. I hope, I hope I even remembered his name properly. I think I did, though. Well, we're going to find out very, very soon. It is James Dickey. Yay. You win the prize. Yay. Poet, author, and writer best remembered for his 1970 novel, Deliverance. Oh, and he did about, Buck Dancer's Choice. About civilized, uh, civilized man's struggle and survival in the wilderness. Oh, it's, it's his obit. He was 73 oh. when he died. Oh. He's a Southerner who set the internationally best-selling novel in Georgia, and he died some Sunday, and this was in 1997, in Columbia, South Carolina, of complications from lung disease. Mm. You know, he's a really good writer. Very Previously, good writer. he had only published poetry. He's a great poet. I've read his poetry too. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, I've never thought about reading that book, but it, oh, might it was be a so good. It was really read. good. Very good. Boy, he just, he, had, he really scored. It was his first, his debut novel. And it was, um, it was adapted in 72. That is pretty amazing. Oh, you know what I led up to? You know, we drove to um, New Mexico. I don't know, but probably three years ago now, and we were listening to the Magus on tape, okay? Right. The audio version of the Magus, because Stegan never read it. And I realized the other day, we never For finished For that feel-good driving experience. <laughs> we never finished it, so I kind of told him the rest of the story. And he, that was also his first novel. And now they made it into a movie, and I can't remember if I watched it. I think I did. It was really bad. Um, but that was his first novel, too. Oh, and so really? I, really, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and then he, I think that, I don't know if it was the first novel published. It was his first novel. 
And then I think he rewrote it because it was, he had to fix some details. But yeah, I really got into telling Stank the whole story of it. Uh, and then thinking about John Fowles and first novel and his writing, he was really good. I acted out a couple of the of his novels for Stank this week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess we're never going to finish that book on uh, that audio book. I so think I'll that would be a you. great episode of the agency if you acted out an entire novel <laughs> for us. Of the, of and I Vegas? would just like be in the background yeah. making commentary. Yeah. It's hard to explain that novel because there's like some tricks and reveals that happen in it. So it's pretty hard to, to explain. It was years ago. That, I know. That I read that novel. Oh, yeah. It would have been in the early 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. I read all of his books because I, I, I just loved him. He's one of my favorites. He wrote some good stuff. Well, Eugene, is it that time? I think it's that time. I think it's that time. The the henny is kicking. The henny is kicking in. I'm feeling pretty mellow. <laughs> okay, good. See you in but a we, few days. Before, just before we go, yeah. before we go. Oh yeah. Please email yeah. us at theagency.podcast@gmail.com. We we love to hear from you. Um, and we want to thank all our listeners for uh, for joining in. And also, we have some guests coming up. We do. We're trying to time that. Plus, I have an announcement for Susan Creamer Joy's art show. I've got to find the text I sent you today, Eugene. Oh, do I have to find Damn, it? Damn, I can't find it now because I, I thought it'd be so easy if oh, I just texted funny. you. I know it's at the Lincoln Arts. Okay, here it is here. Uh, Susan Creamer Joy is exhibiting her work uh, at the Lincoln Highway Art Festival in Mount, Ver Mount Vernon, Iowa on Saturday, September 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Downtown Mount Vernon, Main Street, Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon Iowa. And uh, Susan Creamer Joy is an excellent painter. Um, with really an unusual approach to her work. And uh, here at the HC Podcast, we're big fans. Yes. So uh, if you are in the Mount Vernon, Iowa area, please go out to, uh, to see her work and uh, tell her that you heard about it on the agency at Susan Creamer Joy at That's the Lincoln right. County Art Festival. That's right. And then the next day, Stag is selling some of his artwork at Martin's Corner Bar. And that's on September 19th at 2058 West 22nd Place, Chicago, Illinois. And you can get great food there and a nice uh, draft beer. And, and plus, once you, once you have a few beers, it's easier to buy art. <laughs> so true. So true. All right. But do support Anthony uh, Stagg is a fantastic, fantastic artist. and Friend uh, of the agency. Friend of the agency. <laughs> yes. Okay, see you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.